0: Welcome to the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. I'm so glad that we've got this time together, you and me. It's going to be a wonderful hour coming up with guy Talk that is going to be underway shortly. The power panel is stepping into place. Uh, Agent 007, of course, comes in when he feels like it, but the rest of the players are in place. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner, Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here, Bill. All Thanks, right. Bill. And that's a big invitation to all you listening that have a question for us. We'll let us know what it is. We'll try to tackle anything you send over 877 933 And before we go on any further, I want to say once again, how grateful I am for what happened this week during our winter share. Again, we're just amazed at God's goodness, your generosity and the faithfulness of all the listening support, people that pray for us, people that write and send us messages and send us financial gifts. It's quite overwhelming, and we're still gushing over you, and we have every intention of continuing to do that. So thank you again. And again, the number to send a question is 877-933-2484. All right, here's a question to get things started. Should pastors discuss past sins. Is there a place where the sharing is too much information?
1: Yes, it is. Uh, There are times it's inappropriate. Uh, I learned over my years of ministry that to identify with sinners or to say that, yes, I'm not above you, I'm not beyond you, I face the same issues, but I don't need to go into detail about the situation because it's not helpful. It's too much voyeurism, and I think it makes people terribly uncomfortable. So I would say be wise, be careful, share, but don't share the details.
2: And I I agree. I think it is good though to make it clear. Look, I've I've got my struggles and my sins, and pe- so because people, a lot of people go to church think there's all these holy people in church, and then there's me, right. And so I, I think I think a pastor should be humble, talk about, you know, probably sins in general um, and make it known to people. Look, I don't have it all together either. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I You know, I, I agree with you guys. I think it's that's a that's a tricky balance. Right. I, I think I heard the phrase at one point described of a pastor. uh as selective vulnerability meaning that you're not you know you don't just stand up there and just vomit a bunch of stuff out about your past or present uh, reality especially in specific ways because i think people then understandably end up with with an association that every time <laughs> you step up there again for the months and, or weeks and months to come they kind of just are, are are thinking about that but at the same time you don't want to present yourself Ah, uh, like you just said, Brock. In terms of uh, the squeaky clean, everything is always perfect image, and so I'm not sure what the right answer to that is. I'd be curious what you guys you know think about how specific you you should become, where you identify with the fact that you do struggle and and have struggled with sin, versus um, not saying anything at all, versus saying too much. It it does seem like there's a role to be part of the struggle of the people of the church, but it also seems like there's a role that you are leading and shepherding, and and I don't know what that balance is exactly.
1: you touched on a good point, Peter. From the pulpit, it's never inappropriate to go into depth. You've got people there from all different backgrounds, all different needs. Not everybody's struggling with the same sins. Small groups are a different matter, Mm -hmm. and when you're in a small group, now if it's a mixed group of male and female, there's still limits on how far you're going to go and what you're going to say. I've been in all men groups. I've led a lot of men. And quite honestly, in those groups, with the doors shut, uh, and we were together for a year, we got brutally honest about things. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope not inappropriately, but we talked honestly about personal sin, my personal sin, their personal sin. We prayed together. We repented together. We held one another accountable. So for me, it is always a measure of uh, graduation. How much do I need to share in this setting? And with men and women together, it's much more limited, and in congregation, it's very limited. It just occurs
2: to me, the Apostle Paul did this. Mm-hmm. I am chief of sinners because I persecuted the church. Yes. So he brought up his sinful past. and yeah. and, and But the point was, as an example, for those who were to believe in him for eternal life, that God's very patient with us sinners. So that's why we bring it up. Well, I have a friend who's a pastor, wonderful
1: guy, um, but he has tattoos from his neck... To his mm-hmm, toes, because mm-hmm. he was pretty rowdy before he came in the ministry. He had a lot of sexual encounters before he met Jesus, and then he was called to the ministry. How much of that should he talk about?
2: No. Yeah.
1: yeah. You see, that's the problem. Right. I think yeah. we have a tendency to go overboard on that. When yeah. all he needs to say, even in a group of men, is, "I know where you guys are coming from. I understand the dangers." I've broken hearts and I've broken my own. I've sinned against the Lord. and I don't mm-hmm. want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Here's how I found a deal with that, and I got an accountability partner or yep. scriptures or whatever it may be. But to but I've actually seen pastors from the pulpit
2: say get, things that were inappropriate, get too detailed, and, and we I, don't need that. I do think, like I have a prayer partner who holds me accountable, and I tell him everything. Yes. Uh, but i don 't yeah. think that 's appropriate to do in the pulpit,
3: <laughs> yeah, I agree, Parrish. I think you brought up a good point too that made, and what you just said, Brock, that at the same time, pastors, if they have nowhere to go with it, right, if they have nowhere to go with the fact that they 're human and there might be a past and even a present that they 're that they 're struggling with, not embracing but but struggling with. I just think that that's going to leak out in some really horrible ways if there's not a place to be Mm -hmm. able to process and to walk through and to grow and to transform, uh, at least out of the public eye. But yeah, certainly from the pulpit, it would be odd, but to have a small group of people that you can walk through it with, Mm -hmm. uh, I think there is an appropriate place for that.
0: Yep. Uh, Well done, gentlemen. All right. Here's another question that came in from a listener. What does it mean we shall be given an eternal weight of glory for a burden? My impression is that we shall, in the perfection of heaven, each one shall perfectly express our own being with the masterfulness that was the core of the life of the Lord Jesus. So let me just go to the reference here. Mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, uh, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. People who are in affliction right now, who are in crisis, don't consider what they're going through light momentary affliction, Mm -hmm. but we have to put it in perspective. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And I think Paul calls it light momentary because he knows eternity is coming. And I think the the point of that is, yes, we suffer as Christians right now, but it ain't nothing to the glory we're going to get. But Bill, I was listening to the news here on KTIS about an hour ago about the Christians in China now who are teachers who have to preach atheism to their class and have to affirm atheism, or they can't be teachers anymore in China. And I just thought, Lord, help them not compromise. You know, I hope I'm willing to lose my job rather than compromise on something like that. And if they do, they'll suffer, but there's an eternal weight of glory coming.
1: I don't want to sound like an English grammarian, but verse 17 here in 2 Corinthians 4 is a contrast statement. The first yeah. part is saying, okay, uh, we, we all have light momentary afflictions. Even if you go to the arena and get eaten by the lions, it's still considered a light momentary affliction compared right. to the weight of glory, mm-hmm. the, the tremendous amount of glory that we're going to have one day. So if you look at the contrast between the two, the you know Paul's saying here, yep, you got trouble now, but what's coming is beyond anything you can yeah, comprehend. So hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up.
3: Yeah, I think that's rightly said, Parish. In terms of the the idea that this is meant to be a comparative for people who are really struggling and suffering, and, and I even and I don't know the merits of what this pastor was saying when when he gave a sermon on this, but um, but I do think it, it held some weight because it was looking at the scope of Paul's life, in which he was talking about uh, in Corinthians that he's constantly under threat. Like it it wasn't just one thing that was a light and momentary affliction. It was the idea that his whole life yeah. was was sort of being experienced as a light and momentary affliction where everywhere he went he was being persecuted everywhere mm-hmm. he went he was under the threat of death and in the pastor said essentially what paul is getting at here is that in in the the journey of this world that is under the, the authority of the kingdom of darkness in some ways that i that we don't fully understand but the bible makes clear where it's broken there's going to be suffering that that life really is as a whole a really difficult journey and and we're always having death in our face all day long we can we can deny it we can uh, try to avoid it we can hope to have a long life but but none of that stops the fact that we are afflicted with the reality that this life is going to come to an end for all of us and so in in that vein um the difficulties we experience in this life with how profound they can be It's quite a statement that, like you just said, Parish. The the comparative here, because I know, and I'm sure many of our listeners know, how hard life gets. And if that's considered a a light and momentary affliction, like how good must heaven be if this is light in its hardness compared to the weight of the goodness that is coming? I, I, I just I don't know that I can get my head around exactly how good heaven must be. Um, if this pales in comparison in the contrasting statement?
1: Well, compared to the rest of the world, America is heaven. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have very little persecution. Mm -hmm. We have very little issues. We have great medical care. We have great opportunities. But when I was in Bangladesh, among the Christians there, and that's a Muslim country, they lived with generational persecution. In other words, my grandfather was persecuted. My father was persecuted. I've been persecuted. My daughters are being persecuted. And for them— To talk about, well, the Lord's with you is true, but they're looking to the eternal glory because they realize this life is never going to offer them the kind of joy and peace Mm -hmm. they'd like to have, like we have here. So for them, this passage means everything.
2: Yeah. And remember, Paul wrote a number of his epistles from prison, and he said at the end of one of his epistles, can't remember which one, remember my chains, that might have been Philippians. And I think it's important for us in America to remember the chains of those overseas that's One a, way to do it is Google International Christian Concern or Voice of the Martyrs. Get their free magazine every month. Pray for these people. Send healthy donations to people to help people whose family has been uh, run out of their farm and now they're starving. You know, so I, I think uh, it, it's it's important for us in America because we have it so good to remember the chains of those overseas with our prayers, with our giving. And again, it's uh, International Christian Concern or Voices of the Martyrs.
0: All right. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we've got lots of time for your questions. Let me know what they are. Text them over to me at 877 2484 I'm joined by Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Peter Kapsner, and we're simply waiting for 007 Justin Jepsen to come in when he feels like it. It's so nice to be back with the Power Panel today. Guy Talk is happening this hour. (coughs) We're going to be joined by Dr. John Woodward in Hour 2, talking about the Prince of Peace as we look towards the Christmas season. And uh, we're still wide open to your questions, so let me know. 877-933-2484 is the text line. Uh, Gentlemen, here's a question. This comes out of uh, 2 John. 2 John verses 7 to 11 refers to false teachers. Who can be deceiving and evil? In what ways can we discern false teaching from the truth? One of the
1: things I always complain about, and I try to teach my students, is that Christians have a tendency to be very myopic of Scripture. That is, we love a single verse, and we want to make that single verse our theology, Mm -hmm. whether what it says about Jesus or Jesus says, you know, love your enemies or whatever it may be. And that's true. But then we also have to back out, and we have to take the long view of Scripture to see all the things the Bible says about that, but especially how Jesus summarizes it in the New Testament. Because if we don't do that, we can oftentimes misinterpret, and I think where a lot of uh, false teachers get away with it is they're 95% accurate, but they get that little bit where they start taking you off the mark a little bit along the way, and most people can't discern that. I've sat in meetings where I have heard false teaching. And I'll be listening, and all of a sudden, the preacher will come out with something that's off the wall. Mm-hmm. And and I've actually stood up in meetings and said, excuse me, uh, where did you get that? Good for well, you. Well, that was my idea. I thought about that. Well, yeah, but you made it sound like it was Scripture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I'm not recommending people do that on a regular basis, but the point is we've got to look closely, and then we've got to take the long view all the time. It's back and forth.
3: So, yeah this is a this is a I, boy that's a big question isn't it in it is terms a big of how one. do you discern what false teaching is i I don't know that I have the like V one way, and, and, and uh, I think Parish, just a great start to all of this. I mean, clearly it has to be in alignment with Scripture, but then you run into the issue that's pretty common, that, that two different people can look at the same Scripture and come to different conclusions about that Scripture, so you have to kind of work through that dimension of it, and, and that could be an hour, two, five, ten-hour conversation in and of itself. Yes. I think one real practical tip that can be helpful for people is that when someone makes a statement about life in God's kingdom in some way, something that may may or may not be true about God's sovereignty or may or may not be true about our sexuality or may or may not be true about—you fill in the blank. I think one thing that that is actually pretty readily available to to just about anybody is to try to trace back the origin of that thinking, because very, very few thoughts or comments about the kingdom being derived from Scripture today— don't find some sort of anchoring from past traditions within the church, and so I, I find it fascinating to take a to take a, 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 an idea and try to trace backwards. So, who, what other theologians mm-hmm. in history have said these kinds of things yep. in the past? And sometimes you're like, "Well, this statement came from some random dude in Romania in the <laughs> 17th century." Mm-hmm. And, You know, and and other times you trace it back and you see this rich history among the church uh, fathers in those first couple centuries as they were understanding the kingdom. And so that's one thing that you can do is try the best you can to trace the origin of a given thought.
2: I agree, Peter. I think it's always safe to ask, how has the church always understood this issue? Right. And if somebody comes up with an idea that is traced back to some person in New England in 1820 and it goes no further back than that— I think you've got a right to be suspicious. But, you know, my my dad ran the horse race track in Omaha. And so for a couple uh, summers when I was young, I would be in the money room counting all the money all day. And, you know, the bets were placed, and then I'd get all the money. and, And I'd count it all day long. And now and then, you'd feel a dollar bill that felt funny. And you looked at it, and it kind of had a real smooth almost filmy feel to it. But because I knew the the feel of the real dollar bill, I could spot the phony easily. And what I would encourage people to do, how do you tell a false prophet? Read the Bible a lot. Yeah, and get the feel of the real item between, between between your fingers. You'll be able to spot the Mary Baker Eddie or Joseph Smith or uh, Charles Russell. And you, like you said, Peter, yeah, you'll you'll have disagreements with genuine Christians about things like baptism or the Lord's Supper or predestination, but you're not going to differ on is Jesus the Lord? Are we saved by the cross? Uh, this kind of thing on the biggies. It's pretty clear if you if you get the feel of the Bible in your fingers. So there you go. And also be part of a good Bible preaching church. Yeah, Here's the one thing I've discovered over the years. False teachers
1: never invite you to challenge them.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) They never say,
1: hey, show me where I'm wrong in Scripture. Yeah, Good preachers, Mm -hmm. good Bible teachers will say, challenge me now or take it home and read those passages Mm -hmm. and read what comes before and after and then come back with your questions. To me, that's the big thing. And very rarely in 40 years of ministry have I ever seen a Bible teacher... Or a preacher ever get up and say, you know, last week when I said this, I discovered I was wrong. Somebody pointed it out to me, and I want your forgiveness. We're going to go back and look at that passage and see what it says. Now, I've seen that about five times in 40 years. Mm. What I want to know is, why isn't it normal? Because we're still human beings, even as pastors. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I would say one one of the trigger phrases, right? Uh where maybe should should respond with some skepticism is when somebody says, So God showed me or or God told me something. I whenever Whenever that happens from the pulpit or from somebody teaching, I, come, I just sort of think, well, buckle, buckle up, here we go. What, yep, yep, what is yep. this one going to be? I, I can't remember a, a way in which that phrase ended where I thought, oh, yeah, that is dialed mm-hmm. in. You know, I just it's, it's that's one of the things to be careful. And, I'd you know, say.
2: W- we need to make room for God speaking to people through dreams. Of course. It's, a, yeah. it's in the Old and New Testament. But I just happen to stumble across this young Christian guy on the internet who's into the prophetic, and God has given him words all over the place. And they sure sound like, you know, I was jogging and I got this thought, and that was the Lord saying to me, Whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. And, and And I'll say it again dreams come from one of three places God, the devil, or pizza. And you've got to maintain that dreams can be from the devil, they mm-hmm. can be from just pizza. Sometimes they're from God, but we—you really got to test that against Scripture. So,
3: and I one, agree. And
0: Indeed, and one thing we can learn from Second John regarding false teachers is what it says here in verse seven. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, mm-hmm. have gone out into the world. Yep. So there's a clear sign of yeah, someone right. that would be there. a that, clear-cut deceiver.
2: There was an old heresy called docetism. Oh, in Greek means to seem like. And the docetist taught... This, Jesus seemed like a human. He looked like a human. But he wasn't really a human because God wouldn't take on human flesh. And I think that verse is probably pointing to that specific heresy. Yes. You've got to maintain Christ was truly God and truly man. If you, if you disagree with either of those, you become a cult. I can come up to yeah. today.
1: I listen to politicians. I listen to news media people who will often quote the Bible now or quote Jesus. And I've, there's been plenty of that through the election. What's amazing to me is they, they speak with authority as though they know exactly what Jesus is saying. And 90% of the time, it's out of context. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me to no end. And there's no I wish I could call right in and CNN and, or one of those and say, wait a minute, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. But they don't let me in.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, another question from a listener. How does the group feel about new tattoos on pastors or getting one after becoming a Christian? I don't have any, and I'm not getting any. Isn't uh, there a verse, that one. <laughs> one verse in Leviticus about not, Kidding, not
1: tattooing because the first surrounding people tattooed? Yeah, And I go to a restaurant now, and for me, it's a, an opportunity when I, I could go to restaurants to say to the young woman or young man, why did you get that tattoo? It's really unique. And they say, well, I'm a very spiritual person or this or that. It's amazing how it's opened the door to talk about Jesus. However, you know, I uh, I don't recommend it. I don't yeah. believe it. But I don't think there's a legalistic system from the Old Testament now with the understanding of grace. But I would advise Christians probably to stay away from that as best you can. I know my oldest son, when he was in high school, uh, decided he wanted to get a tattoo when he turned 18. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what. You've got a good friend who's an artist. Have him draw it. Put it on your wall. And after three months, if you still like it, get it. <laughs> well, after two months, the picture was gone. <laughs> and he never got the tattoo.
2: Yeah. I think the verse you're talking about in the Old Testament that forbids tattoos, I'd have to look at that and study it again. It's not impossible that they're condemning tattoos per se, but uh, a kind of a thing that was linked to idolatry. But right, yeah. maybe they, I mean, I don't get a tattoo and that versus, of course, I never wanted one. But I, I think that. Verse has kept me from getting one if I wanted to. And plus, no offense to anybody out there, I think they're ugly. Well, and pain is a big thing that's kept me away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They they hurt. Yeah. All right, we're going to be back with lots of questions, and they would be supplied by you. So let me know what it is you've got to to ask the Power Panel. The number is 877-933-2484. Again, I want to thank you for your amazing support of Faith Radio. Uh, This week, uh, we did two and a half days of our winter share, kind of wrapping up the year and getting a head start on 2021. I'm looking forward to 2021. I hope you are too. But what you've done is you've uh, shown up in a very significant way and you've said, I'm here, I'm going to help, I'm going to support Faith Radio. And it's meant the world to us and it means the world to us. So thank you so much for your generous um, spirit and your love and your support and your prayers We're going to be back in a couple minutes with Guide Talk. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. Or if you're more comfortable emailing, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. All right, we are back. So, what do millions of Americans and three former presidents all have in common? None of them have heard of Afternoons with Bill Arnold <laughs> oh, <laughs> yet. Oh. Yes, what a shame! Wouldn't
2: you say? I think so. I think
0: that should change. I agree. All right. So, I'm just—I'm a happy guy on the radio, and I love uh, this show. I love my listeners. I love my guests. Thank you guys for being here and being part of this. We Would love you, you Bill. Oh, great big that's COVID um, you. That's enough. <laughs> Where's Jepson? He
3: hasn't shown up yet. All right. Yeah, he's quote unquote in a meeting, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. That's what those agents call those things.
0: Okay, I think we got to return to the tattoo thing just because we, yes. we have a couple of listeners. One says, I got a tattoo of a fish on my wrist. Is that idolatry? And uh, any jump in, anybody. I've got an answer. No, no, as well. no, no,
1: no. We're n- no. Yeah, yeah. But this is not an idolatry I- issue anymore. Christians live under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are times. Uh, in my life, where I've done things that are stupid and I wish I wouldn't have done them. Uh, but the problem is with the tattoo, most of my friends who are Christians who've gotten tattoos are now my age and they're trying to get them taken off with of lasers. I mean, it's <laughs> about killing them. But no, it's not an idolatry issue. Uh, if you had something really inappropriate, I'd say, yeah, go remove it because mm-hmm. you don't want to claim Jesus with your mouth and then your body says something else. But I think there's just wisdom in how much of that you do.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my my best shot at this, and I either you, Parrish, or Brock, you said it previously that subject to revision, right? You end up teaching something, but um, but this I haven't studied this one enough. But to the extent that I've studied it from Leviticus, I, I think some of the context where that the huh? tree and, and Leviticus is so much about. The people of God have been in slavery in Exodus for such an extended period of time that they've lost their sense of who they are as a community, as the people of Yahweh oh, sure. under his care. And so a lot of what we read about in Leviticus is to establish a new kind of community. And and some of those commands are—when when you read them in the Hebrew— that you you get the sense, and it becomes pretty obvious, that these are universal kinds of commands. Like, Leviticus does have statements like, love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, that statement is repeated all throughout Scripture, and and there's a way of understanding the Hebrew that you see, this is just a general statement. Uh, There's other times in which Leviticus refers to male and to female as general statements, whereas then sometimes it's referring to specific now men and women of the community in this particular situation. And so, Leviticus will have kinds of, they'll have the commands like, don't boil the goat's baby in its mother's milk. Well, that's a a restriction in that time as the people are establishing just the practical ways of life. And in saying that, the question becomes, when it talks about, you know, don't cover yourself with art or ink or tattoo, is that falling into that broader command kind of category that this is a never, this is never part of the people of God? Or was this a temporary restriction that Mm -hmm. they did? And, and it seems the best reading of the biblical text is that it falls into a more of a temporary restriction category, because in that context, to get tattooed was to be associated with the, with the pagan gods around mm-hmm. them, as you guys have said. and And they really needed to reestablish their identity as God's people coming out of slavery. So don't, by any means, do anything that will associate yourself with the people around you as a temporary restriction. And because the Bible then doesn't have any other passage in it where it says thou shall not get tattoos where it does have lots of other passages that cover some of the passages in leviticus as well again subject to change it seems the best reading of the text is that this was a temporary restriction and
2: you know you're making a good point as far as when we read the old testament some stuff like you just said is for the jews only to make them different from the rest of the culture don't eat pork worship on saturday um get circumcised you come to the new testament you don't have to get circumcised. Mark chapter seven. Jesus declares all foods clean. Um, and I don't. Th- I just got a letter from a lady upset with me that I said on TV that. Uh, you don't have to observe the Sabbath like the Old Testament Jews did. Uh, but I tried to make the point, look, it's not it, it's not reiterated in the New Testament that we have to worship on Saturday. The early church started worshiping on Sunday because something pretty big must have happened to get these Jewish Christians to change their worship day. Well, Christ rose from the dead. That's That's the belief. So... It's important, though. I mean, when when we sin, we don't kill lambs anymore. But the Old Testament says when you sin, you kill a lamb and you go to the temple. And and so just it's important for people to know it's okay to eat a hot dog, even though the Old Testament Jews couldn't. You
1: brought up a really interesting point, and I want to touch on this. This is what we haven't done in Christianity. We haven't taught people that from Genesis to Revelation, we have an unfolding revelation. That if you read the Old Testament in isolation or Isaiah in isolation from the New Testament you can come up with some pretty strange stuff. And what I mean by that is you always have to look to what Jesus and the New Testament did with a lot of that teaching. Look at Peter, the trouble he got into. You know, Lord showing him these animals in a big sheet and saying, kill and eat. Oh, no, Lord, I've never done that. Well, to eat Gentile food for a Jew was unheard of. And yet the Lord's now saying, hey, that's now kosher. Mm-hmm. There's not a problem. Mm-hmm. So I think the unfolding is important here. The other thing you touched on, Tom, I think is important. And I think we make this mistake. Uh, I know uh, a lot of us uh, come very strong about uh, the role of men and women in the church. And I have I have no battle against that in that sense, because there are multiple passages. But here's the other problem. The scriptures also talk about women in the church not wearing adornment, not right. wearing rouge, not wearing lipstick. We enforce none of that. But we sure enforce they can't teach men. And I say to that, why are we doing that with scripture if we're not trained
2: to understand it yeah. in its
1: context and all the way through,
2: I will. There's nothing about rouge or lipstick, but you're right. The, the yeah, do it's not in let the your, Old Testament. Well, I don't know, yeah. but okay, you find it. Well, my but wife any, showed it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you're right about you know don't let your you know the braiding of hair right. and, and and I think we should take it all seriously. I do too. You know, and and if so, anyway, that's a whole nother show. But. Um, uh, what I'm saying but,
1: is, but, it is the biggest thing we all have to fade for right. is the consistency of interpreting yep. God's Word and applying yep. it to not only ourself, yeah. but we have a tendency to apply it to others.
2: Well, and you know, what? But to end the tattoo uh, question... <laughs> I got more here. Oh, yeah. There's more on no, tattoo. Well, I was just going to say, I want it's to take over. seriously, though, that we go back to that Leviticus passage. And I need to look at that again. I don't want to too quickly say, well, it was just a cultural thing for the Jews. I'd have to look at that again and just really study it more. Yeah, mm-hmm. Come on, Bill, give us the next well, question.
0: Well, no, another listener uh, said, I, I just got a tattoo with a cross and the word identity in it. I've already yeah. been able to use it to share that, how it represents my identity in my faith in Christ. I personally mm-hmm. love them. Always been fascinated by them. So
1: see, I don't have a real issue with that one. In the Old Testament, here is the problem: when you got when you were a pagan and you got a tattoo, you didn't get a tattoo at your local tattoo parlor. You went to the temple. You were the god of Molech was where the other gods were. That's where the false it, temple. The false temples, yeah. and that's where they had the temple prostitutes. And and so everything was a representation of that god and that god's philosophy. Where we get to the new, we get to the Old Testament with Yahweh. And he said, don't make any graven images of me. And so the Jews had the problem of what image were they going to put on? So I would say, yes, you know, you want to stay away from that. If you're going to wear a cross on you as says identity and you can witness from that, I say more power to you. You know, but on the other hand, you don't have to do all the stations of the cross on your body. It's do what works for
0: you in your setting if you really want to witness for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Another listener says, uh, what about the body being the temple of the Holy Spirit? So it's your body, it's not yours, it belongs to the Lord. I
2: would lean on that side of the fence. If I had a daughter, Dad, can I get a tattoo of the cross with Jesus on the, you know, I'd say, well, no. (laughs) And, you know, it's not like you can't put a cross around your neck and witness another way. Mm -hmm. But I, I just, why do you have to put it on your body for eternity? I just don't think that's necessary well, and the
1: scriptures say our bodies don't belong to ourself right they belong to the lord yeah i would just say if you if you really want to get a tattoo real bad please sit down with four or five other christians uh of your age group and really talk it through and look at the, what the scripture says uh, and and then if you're convinced to go ahead and do it go ahead and then like most of them and i know in their 60s they regret it now they got it done in their 20s <laughs>
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think just that piece quickly too on your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you if you parse that out of context, I think we miss maybe some of the point, and, and yeah. it's it's mentioned a couple of times, my understanding, in the New Testament. And one time it's more of a plural, you, that you as the corporate people are the temple of the Holy Spirit in which he dwells. There is a, maybe a singular version of it as well, but that's in the context of not joining yourself with a prostitute, of not mm-hmm. becoming one flesh with a prostitute. So there's a very specific singular application. So I I hesitate, and again, subject to revision, but I hesitate to use that particular passage Um, to say to people, well, don't eat a handful of Oreo cookies or something along those lines, because I I think sometimes we take these things understandably, and and while we do want to care for our bodies, I'm not at all suggesting that that is not the case. This is a great example of what we've been talking about to some degree in this show, is how do we allow and and retain the authority of Scripture? Because I think all all four of us right now have a very high regard of Scripture, that it is absolutely inspired and authoritative and is a guide for life. But that that statement is different than saying an interpretation of scripture is authoritative and is a guide for life and and so coming to understand what the scripture is actually teaching so we can bend the arc of our life towards that teaching is not an easy process and and uh, even just looking at the Leviticus passage on tattoos is a great example of that. You probably have two different scholars coming down on two different sides of that equation, each of which will probably have some degree of merit so how do you, how do you begin to decide? was authoritative in that instance.
2: I do think, though, it's good to do what you just said. Look at what the scholars say. Yeah, I, for sure. I get, I'll say it again. Get the ESV study Bible. They're pretty yep. good at giving you the, what scholars believe of various opinions on one verse. Look up the verse in Leviticus. Look at the bottom of the page. Get two different opinions or whatever it is. That's so much better than reading the Bible all by yourself as if there's nobody that's ever studied this issue. Well, I think the the whole issue of
1: individual Christians reading their Bible is a great thing, but you never read it in context away from all the other Christians. Right. You still have to take in what the other Christians say and what the history of the church has said, because uh, I can be wrong.
2: Well, and a question I get for the TV show a lot, Pastor Brock, is it okay to be cremated? And I think the majority of people in Minnesota now are being cremated. 60%. Yeah. And so... My response is, well, what is the church? Okay, is there a Bible verse on this? Not really. Uh, the Bible talks about the dead coming up out of the seas. Obviously, they would have been uh, decomposed. So there's no clear verse saying not to uh, not to be uh, cremated. On the other hand, the history of the church has been against it because they want to a, affirm uh, witness to the resurrection of the body. Sure. So I think at least we need to hear why almost all Christians before us haven't been in favor of cremation. Right. And then do what you believe is right and pray about it. But to to not even, you know, to change something after 2,000 years without even thinking about it is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Church history is a great thing. Get the book by Williston Walker, A History of the Christian Church, a one-volume comment.
3: You know, it's just very good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and if I can just jump in one more time on that, Brock, what you just said about church history, and you brought up docetism um, in one of the last segments related to the context of Second John. See, I think that kind of stuff is absolutely fascinating to understand that John was an incredibly long-lived apostle. He was on the Isle of Patmos for, for the longest time. And and so he lived in uh, the 30, 40, 50 years after the time of Jesus when many different branches of the Church were trying to understand who this Jesus was. And they, and, and they rightfully, in my mind, decided that this docetism, this idea that Jesus really wasn't flesh-dwelling among us, was a heresy, and when you study those first 50, 60, 70 years of the Church, it actually helps us understand the Bible so much more, because these authors are so often Mm -hmm. writing, well, obviously in the New Testament, so much of what Paul is writing in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, I mean, he's addressing things that are going on as Christianity is exploding in the Mediterranean world, And, and I think if you don't have a sense of Church history, it's really hard to understand the Biblical text.
2: I mean, look at the book of Galatians, written because of the heresy of legalism that we're saved by yes. getting circumcised. I mean, the, almost the whole book is Paul writing against a false teaching. And same, so. in, same in 1 Corinthians, they, the false teachers promoting immorality in the name of grace. Just, you know, it's so the, the false teaching has been around
0: since the beginning. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more Guy Talk, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Guy talk. We've got a couple of other questions that have come in, some of related to tattoos. I think we'll move on from there for today. And another question came in for lots more about cremation. I think we'll try to pick another day to talk about that, because that's uh, another big topic. Yes, it is. So, um, yep. uh, another uh, question that came in, see if I can find it here. Um, my father asked me this question a couple of times. If I have repented, So he asked me, have have you repented? He follows that off with saying that he has repented, but he talks about how he can't really recall any time or date or season. And you go, and I can recall when that spirit started to move in me uh, as to a period of time in history. I feel my repents are falling short. Why does my father continue to bring this up? I feel like he is looking for an answer. And in return, I feel we are both looking for peace in our hearts and mind. So it sounds like the topic well, is repentance. Our,
2: our, our repentance will never be perfect. It's always imperfect, mixed with doubt, mixed with falsehood. Uh, on the other hand, the Holy Spirit is real and actually does produce repentance in us, so it's a real thing. Um, I would say if you get too picky on have I truly reached repentance or am I still not repentant enough to be saved, that'll drive you nuts. Uh, so you just we ne- need to remember we're saved by the grace of God, not good works. But if you're also saved by grace— You repent. When you sin, you repent. And you don't live in impenitent sin. I think that's what I would say.
1: I mean, repentance, for me personally, is a daily thing. Mm -hmm. It's not just a a once a week uh, at the church service or whatever. It's a daily thing because it's not so much I'm worried about, have I repented enough? It's because I want to be closer to Jesus. Mm -hmm. I I want to know him. I want to be like him. I want to let him flow through me. And I know I'm an imperfect vessel. So I repent. But I don't worry about having repented enough because mm-hmm. I probably never have. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, am I pursuing Jesus? And for me, that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I want to do pursue Him.
3: Yeah. Do you get, I mean, is there a sense in which I'd be curious for you guys too, that repentance sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes comes sort of in layers uh, on a given situation where, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe as a father, I think of some things that, you know, I had too sharp of a word for my kids or I I didn't treat them well or I ignored them or whatever. And and you kind of know you did something wrong and you turn around and and you do say, Hey, I'm sorry. And and you kind of mean it, but then, um, you begin to think about it maybe a a day or two or six or, or 12 later. And you think man, I was really lame. Like I was lamer than I realized in that moment. And, and I'm, I'm really, um, yeah, I'm really sorry for the way that I treated you mm-hmm. in that time. And it didn't mean that I wasn't sorry the first time, but I think sometimes it might take an awareness yeah. uh, or t- take some time to come to an awareness uh, of how deeply your actions might impact another person and, uh, and the need for repentance where you almost feel a bit broken up by it. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's come in stages for me on certain things in my life for sure.
1: If more dads would admit to their kids when they're wrong and ask for forgiveness,
2: we'd have a much healthier society. Here's a gal. uh, She had an abortion. Didn't really think it was wrong when she did it. Years later, she has a baby at Christmas time. is looking down into the cradle, and it hit her what she did to her first child. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something that you just didn't even think was wrong, and then, oh, Lord, forgive me. I think that's—now, you've got to receive the forgiveness of Christ and not beat yourself up the rest of your life. Right. Move on. But uh, I, I, I've had that happen where the Lord reveals, you know, Tom, why did you say that? You know, it was wrong. And it didn't happen until maybe a couple weeks later. So.
4: My name is Bond, James Bond.
0: he's oh. no, Guess who dropped in?
4: With
2: <laughs> oh, five minutes left. With five minutes to go.
4: <laughs> I just coming in at the 11th hour. I still get to paid more than every else, right, Bill? Well, I I'm sure it.
0: you're on some covert mission. So good to have you here, Justin right, well, Jefferson. Welcome.
4: <laughs> Thank you for still having me.
0: And thank you so much.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I I was in a meeting and uh, I, I I'd have to tell, I I can't tell you about it. I'd have to kill you if I did. I'm, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, I I, I was missing you guys the last uh, 52 minutes. So it's good to it, good to be here.
2: In the meeting, did they use the cone of silence? <laughs> that's you, don't smart, know, he, that's you don't know smart. yeah you don't know what that I, is I do what you, justin that, yeah. was, that was
4: get
0: smart anyway
4: they did on me yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: all right another question from a listener my father is nearing death and he's not a believer so that's not good i would like to share the gospel with him but he doesn't want to listen can your panel of guys provide any insights as to how to talk to my dad and give him one last opportunity to know jesus
2: I I know what I'd say, you know, pray about the timing, dad, can I for five minutes talk to you about the Lord and then I'll never bring it up again, but can I just talk to you for five minutes about this? If he says no, then you drop it. But if he's willing to give you five minutes, then you share the gospel and then leave it at that.
1: It's a good start. I would do that. I would also, uh, what I've done actually with people that didn't want to talk, I would say, well, well, tell me how are you dealing with all the guilt and shame you got in your life? Now that you're here at the end. Now that sounds very harsh, but everybody goes to their death if they're not a Christian with a lot of guilt and shame because we've all made mistakes. And I've had people actually break down in tears. And it's amazing when I can say to them, do you want to carry that to the last moment? And everybody's told me no. Then I can share the gospel with them.
4: Mm. Yeah, along with that, uh, um, I'd certainly pray about the timing. I would gather other people. Uh, to be praying with you, I, I would even spend time fasting in prayer um, for for your father and and, um, and and I would begin asking questions about end of life and and I think you know kind of to Tom's point, you know what do you think about death? What do you think is going to happen after you die? Mm-hmm. You know, have you thought about these things? I think there's there is a natural fear, uh, obviously of the unknown, that I think you know the inevitability of death, you know, confronts them. Face to face, and um, and trust the Lord's going to open a door, and that, that it's a door, it's an opportunity that He will open for you. Um, it's not something that um, you have to coerce or force to happen, um, and to trust God's sovereignty over His salvation. Um, but pray fast and um, and be bold and ready to walk through the opportunity. Uh, I believe uh, not not if, but I believe when it comes. I'm trusting, and I'll be praying for your father.
0: Good word. I got a nice uh, message from a listener wanting to uh, minister to that other listener. How nice is that? Mm, wonderful. And, wow. and that was in regards to repentance. I was comforted by Luke 3 8, which states, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And that the, the message is that produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This reminds me that it will be something that is consistent throughout our lives where there will be consistent turning back to Jesus Mm -hmm. and how we will know if we have turned towards Him by the fruit we produce. That's right. Good word. That's good. Peter, you got anything?
3: I I don't think I have anything to add to the question about the end of life. I think that's so hard, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to know. I I, I would just, I think when you can live the life that you're equipped with the truth about things, but then uh, invite the wisdom of God to know what part of that truth to use and when to use it. I do think that that goes into what these guys are saying. You know, when you, when you have an invitation to talk about it, um, to just, to just ask for wisdom from the spirit, it it is interesting as much as we say that we're skeptical about getting words from God. uh, when we hear that kind of stuff, I, and, and I think we should be. I also don't want it at all to all diminish the idea that the Spirit does give insight in situations um, when, when you lean in in prayer for what to say, when to say, how to say. And so I think to just ask God for the space to be able to to, to share our witness again and, and how to do it and when to do it, I think is really appropriate. But it, it's a hard situation, uh, certainly.
1: There was a survey done many years ago on elderly people, and what were their questions? What were their regrets as they came to the end of their life? Three kept emerging over and over and over. Number one, uh, why was I here at this time in history? Why was I born when I was born? What was I supposed to do? Number two, uh, I have regrets I didn't spend more time with my family. Why didn't I tell them I loved them more? And number three, what happens when I die? So I believe that's on everyone's heart to one degree or another. And that's why I found it, I have found it personally. Relatively easy to talk to the dying and to be with them, even those that are atheists, uh, to talk about the reality of what's coming. And one more
2: thought. It might be, it's it's wonderful when the hospital has an evangelical Bible-believing chaplain. Yes. Sadly, a lot of chaplains at hospitals are universalists. Everybody's going to heaven, and I'll, I'll pray to whatever God yep. you want me to. But there are still evangelical chaplains, and maybe your dad will not hear it from you, but... You might want to put it in the chaplain's ear. You might go visiting my dad, and he might, he might listen to the chaplain. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay, I just have a minute left, and I'm going to have some great questions. I'll have to save them for next time. Uh, another listener said, uh, "Hey, this is just on the lighter note, but uh, I think it was last week on Guy Talk you were discussing a name change possibility for the segment. Oh. Was it merely hypothetical, or did you guys decide on a new name change? Let me just rattle through the ones that came in that day. Please do practical <laughs> theology, Guy Talk 2.0." To God be the glory, faith fighters, wisdom warriors, uh, a turnaround hour with the dudes, dudes with a view, <laughs> brotherly wisdom, good God's guys, uh, fishers of men, disciple dudes, wisdom of the ages, wisdom and laughs with the guys. Let's call it The View. No, it's not called The View. <laughs> so we ended the up alternate view. We end up after all that little fun we had one That's day, uh, we're going to just stick with guy talk.
2: <laughs> I think so. I love too. it. I <laughs> all right, so, gentlemen,
0: thank you so much thank you, Bill. Uh, and thanks, thanks Bill. to all the uh the thanks, listeners Bill. that sent in great questions. Yeah, have a great night everyone. We're going to Come back, and uh, Dr. John Woodward is going to be my guest. We're going to talk about the Prince of Peace. I can't wait.